If you have your Bibles, you can open to Mark chapter 15. We're going to continue working through the book of Mark. I'm quite amazed with how well we've timed this. I'm like, we're closing in on the end of the year, closing in on the book. I don't know how we did it, but it's happening. So in Mark chapter 15 and verse 16 here, and I read through to verse 32. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And uh, what I'm going to do this evening is really focusing around the mocking that takes place here in this passage. And you see it taking in several shapes and forms, but it's all revolving around this charge that's laid. Verse 26. This is what Jesus is charged with, and it's written as an inscription over the top. And the charge is this, the King of the Jews. And if you watch the mocking, it all revolves around this. So you take how the soldiers mock him, right? You put yourself in their shoes. They're a Roman battalion, and uh, they're out to defend Rome, to work for the empire. And we read just in the passage earlier, um, last week we were looking at about Barabbas who was an insurrectionist, and he'd committed murder. There was an uprising, he committed murder in that time. And this is a part and part of the course of being a, a Roman soldier in this region. So you can imagine that some of these guys have probably had some of their mates killed by insurrectionists. People are like, yeah, we're going to break away from the Roman Empire. We're going to give these guys trouble. We're going to start our own empire here. And so to be accused of being the king of the Jews... It's not going to be floated very well among these guys, right? <laughs> They're like, I know people have tried to make themselves king. I've killed people like you. And their followers. But the other thing about Jesus is he's on death row. He's on his way to the cross. He's going to be crucified. And so the whole battalion sees this as an opportunity. They gather together. They're like, great. We will highlight to this guy the truth about what it means to be the king of the Jews. That's what's going on in their hearts, right? You have a look. We'll put a cloak on him. Kings have cloaks, right? We'll put a crown on him, but we'll make it of thorns. We'll salute him. We'll hail him. 
We'll say all these nice things and then we'll strike him on the head. It talks about that reed. If you read in Matthew's gospel, it said they placed that reed in his hand and then they took it out of his hand and struck it. It's like a false scepter. You look like a king, all decked out in that. You got a crown, you got a cloak, you got a scepter. But there's such mockery coming forth through this. They're spitting on him, kneeling down before him. And it's all in this mocking tone. And you can hear it saying, this is what the king of the Jews amounts to. This is your kingdom. Have a look. You're a dead man. It's not nice to be on the receiving end of that, is it? You read on and the mocking continues. It's quite, quite amazing. When you, when you try and put yourself in the shoes of Christ in this situation, right? To feel what he would have felt. There are people who are just passing by. They're coming backwards and forwards and they see Jesus crucified up there. Aha! Wagging their heads. That's even a statement in itself. You know when you see like a parent and their kids have done something wrong and you're out of line here. Wagging their heads. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You got a big mouth. You're claiming all these great things. Now look at it. You want to try and rebuild the temple with your own hand in three days? Why don't you just prove to me that you can come down to the cro- from the cross as a start and then we'll go from there. We'll knock down the temple after that and see if you can rebuild it. Well, you look at the, um, the chief priests further down in verse 31. It's hard for me to have a mocking tone towards the Lord, I must say. Um, in imitating this, but this is where people were at. The chief priests, they say, he saved others. He can't save himself. They looked around. They saw the miracles he did. They saw how he touched and changed people's hearts and lives. People have been moved powerfully. He saved people. From what? Diseases, sickness, demons, wrong courses of life, sin, error. This is clear. This is what Jesus did. He saved people. You've done all that. Let's see if you can save yourself. Then we'll know that you're the Christ. You can do it for others. Can you do it for yourself? And then it gets the point, the very last thing it says, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. That is crazy. Like that, I don't know if, if you've ever imagined being crucified. You're in the process of dying, right? Your body is, you know, collapsing. You're beginning to malfunction. And you mock someone else who's crucified next to you and make fun of them. Mate, I tell you what, if you're Jesus, you're the lowest common denominator right now. It's like <laughs> absolutely vulnerable. It makes me think this is not a, a quite accurate picture, but you know when a kid gets picked on at school and they get picked on and picked on and they go lower and lower and lower in everyone's eyes until everyone has permission to pick on that kid. That's the places that Jesus is in right now. Even the people who are crucified alongside him are mocking him and reviling him. And all of this, the heart of that mockery, the heart of, um, yeah, bringing that sort of reviling and, and accusation, like that sort of tone, derision, it's all about public shame and humiliation. It's trying to look at Jesus and humiliate him and shame him. And the interesting thing is, you look at Jesus, did you notice him speaking any words in this? He didn't say a word in this passage. There's nothing that Jesus said. 
He's barely even acted. He's barely even done anything. There's one action that this passage records Jesus doing. Feel free to have a read back later and, and see if you can pick it out. Everything else happens to Jesus. He's spit upon. He's beaten. He's crucified. His garments are taken away from him. He's mocked. That's quite passive there. You're having a lot of stuff done to you. And there's not much you can do about it. You have no control, no power. But in this place where people are bringing all this humiliation on Christ, he perseveres through all of that. Hebrews says that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he did it because of the joy that was set before him. He was able to go through all of this because he saw out the other side what was coming. He endured all of this. But the fascinating thing, which I want us to take a look at now, is when you look at this, what happens is in Christ, this mockery, it simply proves Jesus' lordship. That might look a bit strange. You might think, how do you prove that Jesus is a lord or a king when all these people are mocking him and making fun of him and he's absolutely powerless? How do you prove the lordship of someone in that? Let's look into it. If we go to Psalm 22, you can see here that what is happening is an absolute fulfillment from David's psalm. Read through this psalm and read through what we're just reading now, Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, and you'll see so many parallels. I'll just draw out a couple of them. But in verse 6, David writes this, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Do you ever read about someone wagging their head? He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You can read over the page in verse 17. <laughs> over the page in my Bible, that is. Might not be in yours. <laughs> I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Verse 16, they've pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. See how so much of the detail of what is happening is captured in this psalm already. If you realize that, you'd be a bit freaked out. You'd be a bit freaked out. You'd be like, well, I was wagging my head and it said it was uh, wagging the head. Get this, if you open to Matthew's account of this in Matthew 27, I want you to read what Matthew describes here in verse 43. This is what the chief priests say. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Read Psalm 22 verse 8. This is what Psalm 22 is saying that, they, that the mockers say. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. That's scary. <laughs> if you were that person and you realize that you had said all of those things almost verbatim from that psalm, wouldn't you be a bit freaked out? A bit like, something bigger than me is going on right now. Something, I think that I've got this situation in control. 
you'll be starting to wonder, maybe the joke's on you. And we pick up, continue along in Mark, right? So all these things are happening. People don't even realize that they're fulfilling Scripture to the T. Casting lots for their garments. Like that's outside of Jesus' control. Jesus isn't hanging up there and saying, all right, guys, you've got to fulfill the Scripture now. Just cast the lots for the garments, please. He didn't do that. He didn't will them. He didn't ask them. He didn't say anything. He didn't try and manipulate that. They did that out of their own hearts, brothers and sisters. Out of what was within. That was the fruit. Something bigger than them is going on here. But then have a close look at the words in which they mock. Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Do you remember what the context was when Jesus said that? He was in the temple and he's casting all these people out. This is John chapter 2. And then the Jews say, what sign do you give us that you have the authority to do all of this? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, rubbish. And they're still thinking that. But John goes on in that passage in chapter 2 and he says, Jesus wasn't talking about that building. He was talking about the temple of his body. Destroy this temple, said Jesus, and I'll rebuild it in three days. He's talking about his resurrection. This guy is mocking Jesus with this comment. And you know what Jesus is seeing? You're mocking me about rebuilding the temple. I'm doing that right now. This temple, the temple of my body, this is being fulfilled right now before your eyes. And you do not even see that. Thanks, Owen. You do not even see that. Verse 32, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Jesus could have saved himself, but he actually chose not to save himself. He could have run off from the garden in Gethsemane, but he made a decision and said, I'm going to choose to go in this way. He committed himself into the hands of the Father. Even when he died on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's where he'd placed himself. But they go on right and they say, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. These people are foolish. (laughs) They don't even realize it. Jesus is again up there on the cross, hanging, crucified. They're saying, come down from the cross that we might know and believe that you're the Christ. Jesus knows that in order to fulfill being the Christ, he has to remain on the cross. He can't go down there. That would take away his messiahship. Not add to it. You can see that these people are so foolish without even realizing it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses here from verse 6. Paul's writing here and he says, Among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And we were just looking at there in that passage on the cross. It's secret, it's hidden, it's hard to see. 
Jesus looks completely powerless in that situation. Mocked, beaten, derision. A secret and hidden wisdom of God we impart, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now get this. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? They missed it. They missed it. And in the moment of missing the wisdom of God, which we have the benefit now from hindsight, we can look back and say, aha, you who mock Jesus. But they missed what was happening because they did not see and lay hold of the wisdom of God, which is a secret hidden wisdom. Paul goes on to explain that it is revealed by the Holy Spirit. And what I want to come to tonight is how at times we can stumble into a mockery of Jesus' kingship ourselves. We are capable of mockering, of mocking Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know, we even sing that in Christ alone. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We sing about it. But can you see it in your life? Can you see ways in which you might be mocking the Lord without even realizing it? Being fooled into swallowing up a wisdom of this world and rejecting a wisdom that is pure and from God. I believe that one of the ways in which we mock Jesus as King is when we fail to walk in submission to Him. When we fail to walk into submission to Jesus as our King, we begin a mockery. Why is that? You imagine a king who's got a kingdom, right? And there's another king doesn't like him. They've got a bit of a battle. That's happened so many times throughout history. <laughs> it's happening today. <laughs> these two guys, they've got a kingdom and they're fighting one another. And they try and make a mockery of one another, fighting, taking away troops, that sort of thing, battling. You know, if you're a king, you can defend yourself and that sort of thing. You can use your subjects and your power and your influence to defend your kingdom. But I want you to picture a king who's sitting in his throne room and has his delegation from a foreign land come in and they're all sitting before him. And then the king says to one of his servants, I want you to go and serve at the table. And the servant says, I'm not going to do that. That's a mockery. That is a mockery. And that is where, brothers and sisters, when we have declared Jesus as our King and our Lord, and we fail to walk in submission to Him, we can have a greater mockery of God in our lives than people who are outside the church mocking Jesus can. Can you see that? can be greater because you fail to walk in submission to Jesus as your Lord. You declare it with your lips. You sing the songs. Greater you, Lord. But do you live it with your lives? As Brett was calling us out, calling out earlier, are we doing this throughout the week? You can do that publicly before other people. 
there are many people who have claimed the name of Christ and some people genuinely who have tarnished the name of Christ through how they've lived. You hear that all over the newspapers. <laughs> you can go into workplaces and hear about it. You can go into the streets and hear about that. People who drag the name of Christ through the mud because of how they live. They make a mockery of Him. We can do it privately in our own homes as well. You can come here on a Sunday. You can look nice. You can put the face on. You can shake my hand and say, how are you doing, Oliver? I can say, good. How are you doing? Good. And then you can go home and to your own children or to your own parents, make a mockery of Christ and not walk in it. You can say, I reject it. I know of people who have lived in homes like that where there's a very different face picture on a Sunday or the prayer meeting or the small group or youth group or whatever's happening and home, another very different picture. And that is an undermining thing and makes that person distrust the Lord, keep God at arm's length. It's a heavy thing. But you know what? We can actually mock God without anyone else seeing in the secret of our own hearts where we fail to walk in submission to Him. No one else here even has to know. No one else here sees it. No one else here can comprehend it. But we can do this in the secret of our own hearts. Let me give you an example of this. You do something that you know is wrong and the Holy Spirit is convicting you in your conscience. I know you've all been there. (laughs) And you go and do it anyway, whatever it is. You eat your sister's cookie or you, um, (laughs) whatever it might be, you you, you step over the line and then you're like, that wasn't too bad actually. Oh, cookie tasted all right. Yeah, I got a smack from mum, but uh, do it again. And there's this stepping over the line where we say the consequences weren't that bad. It wasn't wasn't a big deal. Like a few people, you know, didn't really hurt anyone or it was all right. That's sweeping it under the carpet and failing to walk in submission to God. And this is the thing. That there are many things that you can give your life to in submission. You look around, many things can be your Lord, your Master, your King, yourself, your workplace, your family can be. You can be enslaved to your own workmates and their perspective, your friends. That can rule over your life if you choose it. I want to put out to you tonight, what is it that you want to have rule over your life, over every area? We all know the answer is Jesus. But have a look at him. This is your king here. Being spat upon, being beaten, being mocked, walking up that hill of Golgotha with a man carrying his cross behind him, being crucified there, scorning all of that shame and doing it in your place. Do you want to serve someone like that? I want to get that point home to you. Or do you want to serve someone else who mocks you, who makes fun of you, who has no care for you? You can be a servant over, servant, you know, 
through Apple or Google, just so desiring, you know, the next product that's coming out. Are you enslaved there? How much do Apple and Google care for you? Have they been crucified on a cross for you? Did they endure mocking, beating, being spat upon? If you laid that out before them, I tell you what, you'd see pretty quickly their level of loyalty to you. We have a great king in Christ Jesus. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, when we submit our lives to him, there is this blessing that flows down over our lives. The blessing of Christ as we walk under it, when we step out of it, we step out of that blessing. You'll know and experience that Josh was bringing out that point out this evening. We all know what it is to follow Christ if you have gone there, if you are following him. And I want to highlight this to you. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Again, carrying upon, um, continuing on this theme of mocking. Galatians 6, verse 7. This is a good word. It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It might look like God is being mocked on the cross. It might look like he's being reviled. But he cannot be mocked. And why is that? Let's read on. The reason is that whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For if someone sows to his own flesh, he will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is the difference, brothers and sisters. You might think like you're getting away with it, taking the second cookie. You might think like you're getting away with it, putting on a face at church and doing something at home or in your workplace. You might think like you're getting away with it in the secret place of your heart. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow into, you're going to reap that in your life. And that will be revealed. You cannot hide away from that. It will be disclosed and seen for what it is. And in the same way that those men, when they were mocking Jesus, they proved actually Jesus' lordship through how they mocked him. If we mock Jesus by failing to walk in submission to him, we just simply do the same thing. We're simply proving Jesus' lordship because as we sow into the flesh, if that's what we're doing, then the fruit of that will appear in our lives even though we've been failing to walk into submission to God and that will become clear through our lives. We cannot hide it. Either now or later, it will come, come to the floor. And Peter, he writes this. This is the bottom line, brothers and sisters. He writes this and he says, set apart Christ in your hearts as Lord. That's a decision that you can make. If you choose, you can set apart, set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. He can be the Lord over your life, the King who you serve if you want. And the interesting thing, Peter wrote that to believers. He writes to believers and says, set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. Didn't that already happen? Clearly not necessarily. 
I want to go briefly to Luke 14. And this is Jesus putting a call to discipleship out. And this is what it's coming down to. Are we submitted to Christ? Are we following him? Are we sowing into the spirit, not into the flesh? Christ said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's quite a high bar. But that's the thing is that when we say, you're my king, you're my Lord, we can sing it. But the living it is every part of our life is in submission to that. And I heard a a wonderful interpretation of this passage. It's confronting to hear the word hate. But I was listening to a great interpretation and uh, this person was saying, when you look up at the night sky, you see all the stars and there's so many, they're all out there. But then you go out during the day, you cannot see a single star. You only see the sun. Where did the stars go? They're still there. Just the, the light of the sun keeps it hidden. And that is it, brothers and sisters. Do you want that sun, that light, the call of discipleship, reigning in your life, submitting to Jesus Christ? Or is the brightness of the stars, as good as it may seem, going to be what is lighting up your life? Because that will be revealed. The song in Christ alone, it continues on and it says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished on the cross. All of us, brothers and sisters, myself included, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But that is why he climbed the hill to Golgotha. He wanted to do the Father's will and the Father wanted his Son to be a sacrifice in our place. Then whenever we step out of line in submission, we receive forgiveness of sins. I want you to imagine you're Christ, right? You're just completely at the mercy of this battalion. And there's the guy who's built the crown of thorns and he's placed it over your head. You've got the blood streaming down your head from the crown. There's another guy who tears the reed out of your hand and just cracks you across the head with it. Probably no one here has experienced even those two things in their life. Maybe someone's been cracked across the head with a reed. Maybe someone here has been spat upon. And the spit, I remember Jonathan McCreese describing spit dripping off his face like this. If those men came to Jesus and said, could you forgive us for what we've done to you? What do you think would be the reply of the Lord? Absolutely. Simply because they come and ask for forgiveness, for the forgiveness. No one receives forgiveness from God unless they ask for it. The forgiveness is there. It's available for anyone. But not a single person receives it until they ask. If you haven't asked, ask. 
ask for forgiveness. And then the thing is, act like you're forgiven. Go on and act like you're forgiven. Let it change your life. Believe it. Do you ever find it hard to believe that you're forgiven? You ever found that hard? I found that hard sometimes. <laughs> Someone else has. Sarah has. It's hard to believe. This is where, brothers and sisters, we need to put our faith in the Word of God. You might doubt it. You might doubt what you've done. You might doubt the ways that you have sown according to the flesh. You haven't walked in submission where you've mocked Christ or shamed His name or whatever might be in your life. But there is a need for us to believe that we are forgiven. And as we believe that, the fruit of that will come out in our lives. That's sowing into the Spirit. When we fail to believe that we are forgiven, we fail to receive the fruit of that forgiveness, the blessing of that forgiveness in our lives. You can see how clear that is. It's like chalk and cheese, night and day. But as we believe that, it will produce the fruit that God is desiring within us. And we need to abide in that place. Abide in believing that you are forgiven. Then you receive the fruit that will be to the Father's glory. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Heavenly Father, God, the more I look at Jesus, the more just relief washes over me. I've never met a single person and I never will in the flesh, Lord, who can do and has done what Jesus has done for me. Lord, you know how little I see my need of that so often. But I thank you, Lord, that my sight is increasing to see that more and more, Lord. To see that I have a great need of forgiveness over my life. And as I see that need, Father, more and more, the relief just drills deeper and deeper within me. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus walked up that hill to Golgotha. Thank you that he said, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you that he scorns all the mocking, all the shame, Lord. Where for any one of us here, Lord, and this is where I don't see someone like that. We so quickly turn around and we mock back or we defend. We try and grab the reed and we try and strike back. We spit if we're spat upon. I don't see people like Jesus, Lord. I've never seen anyone like him. Thank you, God, for my Savior. And Lord, I want to declare in the presence of my brothers and sisters, in the presence of your holy angels, that I believe I am forgiven. And I thank you, Lord, for how I receive the fruit of forgiveness in my life, Lord, in freedom, in meekness, Lord. Lord, you know when I've failed to believe at times as well, I've doubted. 
I've doubted your forgiveness in my life. I said, really? I can't forgive myself for that. How could God? But then, Lord, I just have to believe again that you know me far better. You created me. You know the situation far better. And then I look back to Jesus and I think, oh, wow, there it is. Yep, you sent your only son, shed his blood. I am forgiven. I believe it, Lord. And Lord, may that forgiveness, as our faith rests upon it, it will, it will produce the fruit that you desire in our lives to bring you glory, that we might see that, Lord, and walk with greater and greater depth in submission to you, Father, testifying not with our lips necessarily, Lord, but with our lives and then out of the overflow of our hearts through our mouths that, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord unto your glory, Father. And so, Lord, as we look to Jesus, Lord, I simply ask for myself, for each person here, that we would renew in our hearts what Peter exhorted the churches to do, that we would set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts. May this be true, Lord. May this be the case, Lord, of us that our joy might be complete and you have received glory from our lives. Amen.